This is Runehammer. SRF-4 fighter is barely intact. It's riddled with bullet holes and two dozen gouges from the Imperium micro-fighters that just swarmed you. And now, ion thruster toast, you're spinning forward into the landing hangar of an Imperium war cruiser. After the crash, your flight suit, the only thing between you and death at the hands, more like claws, of the sweepers, you go in. There's only one way to win now, to destroy it all. All you've got is a blast rifle, enough ion putty to level the whole place, and a few blue bananas from an old friend. In you go, darker corridors, corners, vents, pipes, hatches, it's all a mess. Lights flash, alarms go off, they're looking for you, and then you see it. There, in a sub-basement, beneath the engine room, but not quite to the reactor, you pause. And that pause could cost you the mission. But here is a thing undreamed of. A giant, cubic, whirring, clicking, beeping computer of some kind. A machine from a time forgotten, calculating problems that men can't fathom. This is the RPG mainframe. Greetings, programs. It's old Hank Rimfernail here. Welcome back to Runehammer here on Patreones. Bienvenidos a Runehammer, mi amigos. And uh, we're looking at, what is this, episode 14? Good gravy, we're trucking along. Well, as many of you know from last week, the uh, theme of this week is going to be all about chunks. And we're going to get into a nice little deep think on chunks because I, I, I really want you guys to see the elegance and the usability of this mechanic and this sort of what I see is a bit of an innovation, really, on the whole vehicle problem um, that has plagued many of my games over the years and, you know, slowed things down, made them too tough, too boggy, too slow. And I think Chunks solves a lot of that stuff. Uh, so we're going to dive right into that, and there's going to be a thinky sheet posted up here on Patreon for everybody to check out. Thank you all for your support, as usual. And you know the drill around here before we really dive into the big stuff. Let's take a look at that old mailbag. Mailbag day, mailbag day. Let's go see what's in the mail today. All right. Thanks, little buddy. You know, the consistency with which he sings it, it's just amazing. You know, it's like, wow. All right. So we're down here in the mail room. Let's take a look around. Now, there's really just this uh, this one letter here that I wanted to uh, to, to think about today and to, to respond to. This one came through on the Facebook transmission feed. And... In one form or another, this question comes up so many times that it seems really worth talking about in specific. So my homie here came up with all this cool sort of world story, did a lot of, you know, quote unquote world building. You know, I know that this is over here and that's over there and there's this faction and there's this cool thing. And then there's this other kind of theme that I want to push, you know, you know, did all this stuff. It's all feeling cool. And then uh, he's, you know, a week away from the first session and suddenly feels the floor drop a little bit on him and gets that funny feeling of like, well, actually, wait a minute, what happens first? Like what? 
What am I actually doing? Yeah, I have this whole world built and that's really neat. I can plausibly represent my NPCs if I'm improvising. I can plausibly answer questions from players that I haven't planned the answers to. I can plausibly describe landscapes, locations, towns. But I'm not sure what's going to happen in the first few minutes of the first session with my players. Oh, I better email O'Hankering. And so that's where I came in and that was the message I got. It's like, dude, what do I actually do? So me being the terrible, terrible advice giver that I am, my response uh, was really simple and brief, but luckily this is a, a broad-minded person who, who saw through what I was really saying. And my answer was just like, well, it's hard to beat a good old dungeon crawl. Now, that's a bit of a troll answer, right? Like, well, what do I, what do, I do for my first session? Well, do a dungeon crawl, derp. But I think the tone with which the answer is given is also part of the answer. It's hard to beat a good old dungeon crawl. Now, what is that tone? What's implied there with that answer? Well, my intention, answering the question in a kind of a friendly way, was to say, hey, you know, just uh, let's kick back for just a minute and let's relax a bit. Let's just think about like what gets D&D, you know, veins pumping. What what makes folk who think they're about to play D&D feel like they are playing D&D? What, what is that thing? And as far as I'm concerned, nothing is more central than moving through stone rooms and stone corridors, through banded iron doors with strange carvings on the walls and discovering monsters and treasure. Now, I know that that sounds just like totally meat and potatoes, cereal for breakfast every morning kind of stuff, right? But this is why I think it can be so useful to kick your game off and get into the swing of things with your group. So, you know, the, the classic trope is to start in the tavern, right? And then we're going to meet each other. And then some guy bursts in and he says, help! You know, it's kind of like the beginning of Xena <laughs> of every episode. But I would actually pause it. And I've said this in a few videos and a few other places. But the place you want to start is as that door slams behind you in the dungeon, or maybe there's a, a small landslide or a cave in right behind you in the cavern that traps you in this small series of rooms and tunnels. And you simply need to sort of find your way out or find your way to the end. Maybe the end is a hatch into a castle or your hatch into a village, right? And so you're kind of back to the normal world. But for a brief moment, you and your newfound friends who are your companions in the group are faced with a little bit of danger and a little bit of mystery in a familiar space, which is a dungeon. And this is how you start your campaign. Now, your campaign could be wildly far-flung in its concept. You could have a, a gigantic dragon skeleton as your world, and people are living in this dragon skeleton and mining it for pieces, and then the elder dragon gods are going to return and bring this thing to life, and there's actually these warring dragon planets. And Holy crap. But to get started... I think it's the most natural way for new players and new characters in specific to become friends is to confront a little bit of danger that's just familiar enough to where they get it. They get the world. They, they see, oh, okay, we're going to be making attack rolls. Oh, okay, I can kind of say lines here and there if I want to, and I can kind of improvise with the details of the world a little bit, and I can ask questions on my turn. Oh, okay, yeah, I see how this could work. Then, as they become friends, because one guy healed the other guy, one guy dragged him out of a trap, and so on, then you get into the thematic elements of your world. Then you let your story start. 
But no one ever said we need to start our cool campaign stories when we start our campaign. Starting a campaign to me is more like the tutorial. And a really fun, engaging tutorial is a big part of setting a hook that's going to last. So if you're asking yourself this same question, I've got a super cool, big prepared world and I'm getting ready for my first session, which I gotta say is an extremely common question. Even for veterans, they, they face this same puzzle, which I have all this cool stuff that we're gonna do, all this thematic, interesting stuff, but exactly how do I just kick it off? How do I just get going? And uh, those of you out there who also like are sort of hosts, you know, like maybe your game happens at your house, or maybe you throw, you know, board game parties or game nights at your house. One of the fundamentals of being a really good host is always welcoming everyone and always making sure, absolutely sure, everyone knows each other's name and everyone is comfortable together. This is, a, to me, one of the most important parts of, say, hosting like a party or a house party, is that you're constantly making sure everyone knows each other's names and that they're all comfortable hanging out and everyone's familiar. So nobody's kind of standing around going, I can't remember who that dude is. <laughs> so just like with characters, no one remembers characters' names at first. And your job, one of the many jobs as the DM, is to constantly remind the players what the characters' names are what your relationships are. Make sure everyone's comfortable. Remember this guy's name? Oh yeah, and this guy's a halfling, remember? And get get it into everyone's mind. And there's no better place than a nice, simple little set of tunnels and rooms as a backdrop for this process of familiarization. So that's my answer to that question. And I hope that came through properly. It sounds like the session went great. So all is well. So that's just the one little piece of mail I wanted to read out today. And um, I hope that's useful for everybody facing that sort of creative challenge. Okay, so good to have a look in the old mailbag there. Now let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Let's get down to the mate and the potato. Um, what are we talking about? Oh yeah, chunks. So let me flip over to my sheet here. Where's, where did I put my sheet? Um, it's down here among all these, in this pile of stuff here. Okay, there we go, there we go. Chunks, great. So uh, Chunks originally uh, appeared in um, the Speed Kills Adventure, which can be found in the Index Card RPG Core Book. Um, and as soon as Second Edition comes out here in a few weeks, um, those bonus adventures are now going to be in the hard copy. They were just living in the updated PDF before, but now the hard copy book includes five huge adventures. Um, second Edition is almost 100 pages bigger than First Edition, so there's a lot of great new stuff. And Chunks were originally introduced in Speed Kills, which is this sort of death race adventure uh, on another planet with these hyper cars that are kind of hover cars and stuff. And then um, the, the Grim Reaper appears and you have to drive your hyper car over the river Styx and all this craziness. But Chunks are the rules that are introduced of how you can battle vehicles and piece by piece blow them apart and damage them and run that in your game with relative simplicity and speed. So let's talk about chunks because I think it can revolutionize your game, not just a sci-fi game. So let's say you're back in fantasy. And as you can see on the thinky sheet, it's like an arbalest on a wagon and it has four chunks. It has the, the ammunition. It has the arbalest itself or the scorpion as it's often known. You have the ammo supply, which is like this, these huge spears that are in the back. And then you have like a wooden reinforced defensive wall on the front of the wagon. And these are the four chunks. Now each chunk 
follows a set of short rules that's going to give players the ability to fight a compound vehicle like this in an interesting way. So first of all, a chunk has its own HP. And the way that we've been running it, between 5 and 10 works best. So especially in this sort of fantasy scenario, since we're building out of steel and wood, I would say go with five. So this has five hit points per each chunk. So that's total 20, but these are vehicle hit points, and we'll get to that in just a second. Okay, next, each chunk has a function or an ability. Okay, so if we take our uh, arbalest wagon, which is a really simple one to understand, uh, chunk one, which would be the arbalest itself, its ability is to fire spears. Um, then you have the ammunition chunk. That's the ability to hold extra ammunition. Uh, then you have the little pilot seat, which is, you know, the ability of someone to jump up in there and operate it. And then you have the defensive wall, which is going to make this thing really hard to hit. When a chunk is destroyed, this is the third rule, that ability is removed from the vehicle. So let's say you uh, manage to target the arbalest piece of our crossbow wagon and destroy it. It is now just a spear carrying wagon. It can no longer fire arrows, so it's kind of been disabled as an attack vehicle, but you still have a perfectly functional wagon with a defensive wall on it. So you see, this is where chunks get interesting. So if you're dealing with something like a battle mech, one of the arm chunks could be like, you know, an autocannon, right? A machine gun. And when that chunk is destroyed, this mech can no longer fire machine gun. So what you do is as chunks are being destroyed or whittled away, the vehicle is losing its different abilities. So a starting vehicle that's fully intact is going to have, you know, four to five abilities. But as it's destroyed and taken apart, it's losing capability. Another fun example is when we played Death on Krell. We did this big space dogfight, and we had one fighter whose ion engine was destroyed. And so he's just drifting through space, just basically using jump jets to try to maneuver, but they can't, like, transport you any significant distance in space. So he was basically crippled, but he had weapons. So the other players were bringing the fighters near him so he could still fire when he really can't maneuver and so on and so forth. So each chunk has its own hit points. Each chunk has a function or a capability. And if destroyed, that chunk loses that ability for the vehicle. Okay. So next we have, well, ooh, how do you select what gets hit? Now we have two methods. You can roll for it, so as damage is coming into the vehicle, you can just roll. So if there are four chunks, roll a D4, the damage goes to that chunk. Super simple and fast. But you could also let players and attackers aim at a chunk and then just make it difficult. So in ICRPG terms, you would make it a hard roll. In uh, you know, D&D 5th edition terms, you would make it at disadvantage to hit. If I was aiming at the arbalest or aiming at the pilot or aiming at the defensive wall rather than just aiming at the vehicle. So either roll for it random or make it a little bit hard to aim at a specific chunk. Because believe me, once players start to understand the chunk system, they want to aim at chunks. They want to disable the chain sword on the Imperator as soon as possible. Finally, we have um, vehicle hit points. And the simple rule here is that those on foot, those not who aren't vehicles, which are, you know, like people, <laughs> they do half damage against vehicles. So another way of thinking of it is that a vehicle HP really equals two HP of, uh, of normal hit points. And so if you have a chunk on our battle wagon in, in this example, and it has 20 total vehicle hit points, that's really 40 normal hit points. So, wow. 
So that that's a lot of damage for a player to be doing uh, against anything. Now, the reason that this is also interesting and that you want to keep it in mind in, in clear terms is that you might have vehicles battling vehicles while people on foot are also battling the vehicle. And the two to one rule is going to make it really easy for you to swap back and forth between vehicular and on foot type damage. Now, if you wanted to make something that was like extremely tough, you could escalate that one more multiplier. So you could say, well, these vehicles are like iron tanks. So they actually have three to one for their hit points. But I think it's important to keep the hit points low because it makes it easy to track. And that's where you see the examples that I've put on here for my chunk diagrams. So just like in the old Battletech days, I like to draw my vehicle with these little bubbles in it. And then I print this out. And then with a pencil, I can mark off the bubbles. So when two damage is done, I can mark off a bubble. And this keeps me from having zillions of little bubbles on my vehicle diagrams. So it's just a mathematic reducer. Um, and if you feel that is like getting derivative on you and makes the math, you know, sort of tangly for you, then just do a one-to-one -one and double the HP of your chunks and vehicles. It's another way to do it. But the effect you want is that vehicles are tougher than those on foot. Okay, so how do you take the chunks? Now that you understand how to use it, how can you apply this in interesting ways? I think that becomes the most um, sort of luscious part of the chunk podcast here. Well, let's take the Goblin Siege Engine, which is the center example on the think sheet. Um, and it basically has a huge armor plate. It has these like uh, lever-activated spears that thrust out of the bottom, and then it has a huge cargo bay that's filled with ravenous goblins. Now here, I think that the case is made very obvious what a player or group of players is probably going to do, which is target the spears, right? You want to render this thing just a rolling castle rather than have this colossal damage capability. You know, this is a this is like a 46 with a deck save to avoid it when these spears shoot out, right? This thing is gnarly. So you just use the rules up above. But what I want to sort of bring into more stark relief is, well, I know that that's a sort of a simple case, but how can I make it more interesting? What can I do that's going to be something different? Well, here's where you could take your siege engine and you could add turrets to it. You could have a flame turret. You could have a little spell sort of cockpit, like a little uh, a pulpit, and there's a mage in there, and he's casting buff spells on the other turrets, or he's what's making the thing move, or he's casting damage spells or whatever, but maybe he's hidden inside. Maybe the thing has a steam engine, and the steam engine is hidden inside, and until that's destroyed, it can still roll around. It can run over people and crash through buildings, whatever. So not only are you seeing, evaluating, and targeting but a vehicle can be a thing to discover as well, to explore and learn about. Because not all the chunks have to be visible right away. Some of them can be inside the vehicle. Some of them can be smaller. Some of them can be bigger. Um, you could have a chunk that's like a reactor that maybe only has one hit point, but it's you know contained within all these other chunks that are armor chunks. Um, there's a lot of different ways that you can toy with this. And bring vehicles into your game without feeling like, oh boy, we need a bunch of new vehicle rules. <laughs> now, you're going to have a little more challenge in uh, something like D&D &D where the hit point totals are getting a little higher. 
And uh, if, if you've ever run, you know, anything like uh, a pit fiend or a large dragon or anything, you, you won't be intimidated by running large vehicles. It's very similar. The only difference with fighting large monsters and vehicles is that monsters' capabilities are intrinsic to their bodies. So the only exception I could think maybe would be if, like, you could, like, blast a dragon's wings off or something, and then it could no longer fly. That would be a chunk-type mindset as far as a dragon goes. Or you could, you know, I don't know, maybe shoot a boulder down its throat, and it it can no longer use its breath weapon. Something like that where the capabilities of the enemy are directly linked to a physical portion of the enemy. So if a monster could have a chunk-like behavior, that could actually be really interesting, not only because it's how you manage the combat, but also because it's how the players discover the thing. You know, they go up on this creature and let's just take the wing example. So they go up on this creature, it has strangely small wings and yet it's still able to hover. And when it hovers, even a strong bow shot can't quite reach it. But this thing is like attacking with lightning bolt from way up high. The players realize, man, we're never going to get to this thing. It's going to destroy the whole town unless we can bring it down. And then they're like, well, let's aim at the wings. And then you give the wings their own little subset of hit points because you don't want to have to kill the entire monster to put a few holes in its wings. And so these guys find, you know, like an arbalest or a scorpion, and they realize they can shoot far enough with this thing. They get a couple of successful hits on the wings. This crazy creature drops down, lands in the town. Now it can't fly, so it can't return to its hover state. And the sort of quote-unquote normal battle begins. Another one you could do would be maybe like a, some kind of a burrowing creature that had like a drill, a drill-like organ on its head. And as long as that drill-like organ is intact, this thing can still escape like a bullet, you know, drilling through the ground or drilling through buildings. And it's just causing all this havoc. And then they realize, oh, all we have to do is like, you know, crack this drill helmet thing that it has in half. And then it'll be debilitated. It'll shoot up out of its little burrow. And we can start fighting it in a quote-unquote normal way, like a tank and spank type way. So that's how a chunk could become part of a creature as well as a vehicle. Now, if it were a creature, I would not want to apply any hit point doubling or tripling because you want that feeling of, you know, blood is blood and guts are guts. And so it's one to one. But giant creatures, of course, have lots of hit points. So if lots of hit points is a a quote that's easier for you to keep in your mind than using doubling, then by all means do that. The interesting thing about chunks is abilities connected to physical parts and destroyable or targetable physical parts. That's the real, simple, super boiled down guts of what makes this mechanic fun. So another one would be, you know, bring it into your sci-fi game. And there is a robot with four lightsabers and like wheels. So you can blow the wheels off and now the thing can't move, but it's a formidable fighter. Or you can start trying to get the limbs detached so that you can get rid of those lightsaber attacks and so on and so forth. So I think you see all the, all these descriptions are going to the same place. So I know that chunks have been, um, you know, mentioned and somewhat there's some excitement about them, but I've never really just come right out and talked about them yet. Um, even though I think speed kills. And then uh, for those of you who watched fall of Arnor, um, there's a lot of, you know, chunkiness in there. And then, uh, Also, in the new second edition, you're going to find Fall of Arnor and Death on Krell, which are these sci-fi adventures, and they really get the chunks going. So they show you how to build battlesuits as well as fighters. 
And everything's a suggestion. Remember, I am a true believer in the DIY RPG. So everything that I'm doing in my games and in my game designs are merely suggestions in the hopes that you guys can modularize, streamline, and improve your own games in your own ways, not sort of live off of lists and tables and books. The fun of our hobby, I truly believe, is in the mind and comprehending theoretical constructs over the usage of specific lists that other people wrote who aren't running your specific game with your specific players and your background. That's up to you to make that as awesome as possible. So this was just a bit of a shorter podcast here. I just wanted to get it out and um, getting ready to film another video here today. So it's a, it's a fun day. Also doing a little bit of crafting on a project that's going to be coming up. Um, so it's a it's a good tears day to be in the hobby. You know, hobby is starting to be a word that I don't think is awesome enough. Um, you know, being inundated with this lifestyle um, day in, day out, that, you know, there it is. That's what it is. It's a lifestyle. You know, it's a hobby when I was, you know, maybe doing it a couple nights a week after work. But now this has become a lifestyle like uh trying to process, appreciate, think, and boil down all of this input from everybody uh, really is becoming a lifestyle. And I invite everybody out there to join me in the lifestyle. Um, received a fantastic message on Patreon from an adventure writer yesterday, and she was excited and kind of sharing her enthusiasm with me about you know some of my work. And uh, then I looked up her work, and it's absolutely spectacular. And she was describing how this inspiration or, you know, breaking this creative block has has brought her into this adventure writing life that she had dreamed of. And I bet she's feeling this same sensation, too, is that, you know, you take it from a hobby to a lifestyle and realize the vistas of wonder that await um, when you really go all in on a thing. So if you guys out there have the time, the effort, the, the creative energy to go for it, I invite you to experiment with the RPG lifestyle. It's summer. Everybody wants to get out and have fun with friends. So it's a great time to play. And, uh, you know, just live, baby, live. I just want to have some fun with my friends. <laughs> Good Lord. Okay. I think the caffeine is starting to kick in. So I'm going to get out of here before I do something crazy and, uh, you know, start, start hugging this microphone because it's starting to look kind of inviting over there. It's all orange. I love the color orange. Okay, this is just getting weird. Hey, this is Hanker and Fernail signing off, guys. Glad to give you a quick little talk about chunks here on the RPG mainframe. Thanks, everyone, for your ongoing support. Keep an eye out on YouTube because I'm going to get back on the YouTube horse. I'm going, I'm going through this, like, freaky metamorphosis. You know, like, you can't just be the same. Times have changed. You know, there's a lot of new channels. There's a lot of RPG uh, noise out there. Uh, not noise in a negative way, but a lot of transmissions, a lot of thinking going on. And how to continue to be meaningful and contribute to that growing community and that growing mind space is always a challenge. And I, I feel like I need to transform again. I need to metamorphosize into some new and slightly different creature from what I've done in the past. So I've been trying to work on that problem. And uh, I think I'm going to make it thanks to you guys' help and support and friendship. I love to tell you about friendship. It's something that's nice to have. I tell you about friendship. It's something that's nice to have. I tell you about friendship.
It's something that's nice to have. I'm talking about the friendship now. So many friends.